UCB Life Issues. From people in church congregations lifting their hands as they sing to football supporters raising their scarves in the air as they belt out their team's chant to adoring fans screaming at their favourite pop stars. We humans love to worship. But why? What exactly is worship? We're here to explore our husband and wife team, Nick and Becky Drake, leading practitioners and songwriters in the area of all-age worship. They worship at Gas Street Church in Birmingham, where Nick is associate vicar and Becky works as a school chaplain. And they run Worship for Everyone, a ministry that they've had for more than 10 years and have released a number of books and albums. And the latest book is called Worship for Everyone, which was published in 2021. Welcome to UCB One, Nick and Becky. Hello, uh, Helen. Yeah, Thank you hello. for having us. It is so good to have you. And I'm going to launch straight in with a big question. What is worship? Well, Helen, that is a massive, massive question. But essentially, worship is the expression and the adoration that we give to something or someone. And of course, in our case as Christians, we want that worship, that adoration to be directed towards God, who we believe is our creator. And I think as a mum with lots of little children, worship is something that actually starts very, very young. Um, I can see in my own children from a very, very young age that their fascination, the kind of um, way they feel enchanted at life as they look out at it, the wonder is all part of being an intrinsic worshipper, being born with this kind of uh, fascination with the world around us. And I suppose our job as parents is we, as we grow, we want to encourage that and channel that into uh, their love and their adoration of God, their creator. That's where I would start, but there is so much to say. I'm sure Nick would like to add. Oh, no, you did a fantastic job. Well, I began, uh, I began. On the wonder of worship. Yeah, I mean, it's that response um, of who, who am I wanting to give myself to, you know, worship meaning service often in the Bible is another way it's translated to serve. And it's that idea that, you know, we, we owe everything back to the one who's created us, the one who um, has great plans for our lives and trying to get in line with those great plans. So it's a really exciting word because it's to do with purpose as well, that, that our lives are fulfilled when they're lined up with what God's plans and purposes are for us. Wow. There's so much there that you've just shared. I mean, we're going to unpack it uh, in this time together. What does worship look like then? I mean, at the top of the introduction, I kind of, you know, alluded to a few ways that physically it might look like. But what what does worship look like to you? Mm. Well, I mean, I'll respond straight away. I think I think it's twofold, isn't it? It's it's the everyday. It's the everyday choices. It's waking up every day and going, what what am I living for? What are the guidelines for my life? Um, who do I give thanks to today? Like, like who, what am I thanking? Uh, who am I thanking today for, for what I have? You know, and that beginning a discipline of thanksgiving every day. So it's the daily stuff. But then obviously it's punctuated by those. Also, as Christians, we have those one-off events. For example, gathering as church on a Sunday or gathering as a small you know, group of Christians on a, a weekday night or something. like. There's those moments where actually you spend um, deliberate time focusing on God and giving thanks to him. So it's a combination of like daily practice, but also like punctuated by specific 
um, gathered together with other people worship. And, that, and often that's what, when we talk about worship, we mean those gathered moments, but it's important to know it's like all of life. Mm. And that's I'd love, all I was going to chip in and say, because this is why it's such a huge word, isn't it? In that also, obviously, right at the heart of who Jesus is, is, is a man who's loved. He loved people. And we know that the, we, we've written this song called The Golden Rule, and, and it's all about the fact that at the heart of it all, God has made us to love him and love others. That's the other crucial part of it, isn't it? And actually, we can sing our hearts out and be in awe of the world. But if we're not loving our neighbours or loving our enemies even, actually, are we worshipping God with our whole hearts? No, I don't think we are. So that's why worship, I think it is such a huge and full word, isn't it? Mm. Um, because it is about an expression, but it's also about how we behave and how we act mm. um, and how we model Jesus in the world. It's interesting because you've talked about intentionality and being deliberate with worship, but is it something that's innate? Is it natural or is it more an intentional thing to worship? That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I think it's an innate thing um you know we mm. we all worship something like something we give worth to something that we spend time thinking about you know so when it's maybe like it you know it, on the on materialism maybe it's a new purchase you know oh i need to i don't know i need to buy a new kettle and then you're focused on it for a day and you do research and you look at i don't know or you go to the shop and you look around like you're spending dedicated time thinking about this thing and um, that can control your mood or your feeling. And it can be something more serious or bigger, a worry or a fear. And it's easy for those things to dominate your life and you give too much worth to them. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, worship is all around us. Like every human um, attaches itself to something bigger and, and puts hopes into that thing, whether, whether it's money or relationships or whatever it is or achievement and um, and so we end up worshiping lots of different things in a sense. It's just that you know, in 2021, we don't often call them gods or mm. idols, but that's the kind of language that that the Bible uses to talk about some of those things. And so, I think it's it's innate, and it's actually the challenge of life is to pick what you're going to worship, yeah, and then to work out a pathway you walk on that sticks to that. Mm. that's the greatest challenge I think of worship it's good there's so much in what Nick's just said the only thing I would refer back to just in terms of your question is what I said a moment ago that I think it's innate because I again I think children are born with such wonder and I think the challenge as a parent is to keep the wonder alive as well so I think actually that element of worship which is awe at the world and awe at the creator can easily be lost we begin to take so much for granted, don't we, as we grow, grow older and get used to the sunsets and the rainbows and all the rest of it. So I think there's an innate thing that can get dampened. And again, one of our challenges as we go through life is to keep that sense of kind of childlike wonder, I guess, alive. That is so good. And it's so easy to forget that. I think that sometimes can be, we're not even aware that we've lost mm -hmm. the innate wonder. We can kind of get caught up in the, well, we can call it mundane, the ordinary of life, but I suppose we will go into a bit more how we can unleash the extraordinary in the ordinary uh, as we continue this conversation. You've mentioned about as Christians, you know, we're created to worship God. And I wonder, Nick, you have a PhD in worship studies. What does the Bible say about worship, particularly about all age worship? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this, this whole area. So I did my PhD looking at how we encounter God. What does it mean to encounter him and experience him through worship? But actually what's fascinating is this whole area of all age worship I've come to later on, um, kind of because it's one of those, because there's lots of moments of encounter with God, of humans encountering God and his presence and his power. And that's one of the key things at the heart of worship. But in terms of all age worship, it's one of those things that people don't naturally think of. But when you start looking for it in the Bible, it's like all through, it's woven through it, but it's, it's kind of like, it's not something shouted about. And that's because as I've researched it and studied it, it's because it's um, so assumed mm. and because our culture has gone so far mm. from that understanding that um, of course the children and young people will be present with us, uh, whatever's going on. And so in our society in 2021, you know, so, so much is, is separated off according to age and stage of life. And that's how, you know, kind of a lot of us are formed into that separation in all different ways. And we don't often come together. Whereas in, in, you know, Old Testament times and in the, you know, New Testament church, everyone, you know, would be together. And so one of the pastors, for example, um, with King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20 is one of the famous passages that's often used to talk about worship in general, because it's about the power of musical worship in bringing breakthrough as we worship God. Um, real life difference can happen. But actually, when you start looking at it, you realize, oh, all the children that were there present in this great meeting, you know, all the children would have seen um, the prayers that were going on and the musicians going out at the head of the army to lead worship. And so they would have seen this great move of God happen because they were just present with everyone. And so it's passages like that, that you start, when you start looking at, at, at scripture, you start seeing this assumed presence of children, young people, old, older people, us in the middle, you know, everyone in it together mm -hmm. on the journey with God. And Becky, Nick mentioned their musical worship and at church, worship often looks like singing songs at the start of a service. And if you're an outsider looking in or a first timer, it might look a bit like Christian karaoke. But as Nick's just kind of explored a bit there, it's much more than just singing songs, isn't it? It really is. It really is. I mean, I think to start with, music is just such an incredible gift to the world, isn't it? And it does so much. Music <clears throat> has an ability to reach our hearts in a way that words alone can't. Um, it has an ability to open us up. And I think sometimes there's a mystery around music, actually, that we can't even quite articulate as human beings. But it shifts stuff. We know that it has the power to lift our mood, change an atmosphere. It has the ability to give us strength, actually, when we might feel low. So... In terms of music in a church setting, particularly when set to words that also focus our minds as well as our hearts, A, it can give us um, strength when we're struggling. It can remind us that actually we've, we've got a God and a bigger picture and a bigger story over our lives as we sing those words. But actually in the room among the community as well, as we sing, it's an amazing example of unity 
We're all singing the same song. We're all singing the same words. It's a, it's a perfect example of us all coming together. You mentioned earlier on people chanting at a football match, I think, Helen, didn't you? Or in a pop concert. It's, it's a really similar principle, isn't it? We gather at events like that to say, we love this football team. We're all singing and we're all in it together. And in a sense, that's what we're doing in church. As we sing, we're saying, well, we're all a family and we believe in this God and it encourages one another and builds one another up, as well as, of course, bringing joy to the heart of God. So singing's got immense power. And of course, we believe as well as Christians that as we sing, we get changed, that there's something about dwelling in God's presence and spending time with him. And that includes having children in the mix as well, um, where our hearts begin to shift and um, the Holy Spirit um, connects with us and changes us from the inside and we get transformed as we go. So, yeah, I think there's a lot going on as we sing in worship. And anything you wanted to add there, Nick? No, I think Becky's done it brilliantly. I think that concept <laughs> of music is a gift from God. And that when, when you, again, when you look at scripture, you see um, all these key moments where God moves, where healing flows or where salvation happens, like whether it's literally Exodus and then being free, Moses, the people of God being freed from slavery um, in Egypt, you see song and music being used as a tool, as a gift to facilitate a whole body response. I was going to say a heart response, but it's a holistic response. Like, and again, in our culture, we can limit it to just like we stand there and sing, but actually, no, no, they were dancing, you know, Moses and Miriam led the people of God in Exodus in, in a song of, of praise to respond to what God's done. And so all through scripture, music seems to be a gift from God to humans to facilitate our holistic response mm -hmm. to him mm -hmm. and it's celebration it's thanksgiving, it's declaration of truth over our lives. It's like all of these things. Mm. And so it's such a, a powerful gift from God. Mm. What about for people who aren't gifted musicians, maybe don't feel comfortable singing out loud, or maybe just don't feel like doing it? And I ask that knowing that I've learned in my faith journey that there is something about stepping out in faith beyond what my feelings might be telling me. Yeah, I think that's really true, Helen. And there's those really helpful words that actually I remember Matt Redman quoting once before he led worship that I think are from the Church of England that say, actually, our worship is both our duty and our joy. I think for some people, worship is a true joy. They turn upon us and they can't wait to sing. But actually, I speak even as one who is gifted musically and I love singing and, it, and it's one of my passions. I still have weeks where it has to just be a decision. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm here today and it's my duty as well as my joy today to open my mouth and choose to sing. And, you know, it's true to say there are times where I really sense the presence of God and it's a total delight to sing to him and other times where I feel tired and it's a weary effort to stand up. But that's almost part of our obedience, I think, as well, isn't it? And I'm sure that God delights in that and honours that in just the same way. We don't always have to feel elated, um, but it, it, it doesn't mean nothing's happening. And I think even by rehearsing those truths and stepping in and joining with the church body, um, it, it's part of our faithfulness to God. And I think I'd just love to add just a quick personal story. I think... Um, I, you see, so Becky said, you know, she loves to sing naturally. That's her thing. Whereas I grew up being, you know, going to church, but I actually hated singing. Like I used to stand in the congregation and look around and go like, what, is, what are these people doing? You know? So if anyone's listening to this and maybe you, you've only been to church a couple of times or you're just watching it online at the moment and you're like, I just don't get this. You know, that was me. 
and I was watching everyone. And I just thought, I don't want to be a part of this. Like I don't, as a, as a kind of teenager, I was looking on like, I, what are you singing about and why? And, and I don't want to do this. And so I remember even miming the words because I felt like the pressure to join in, but I didn't want to. And I think, you know, and, and my part of my testimony is, you know, God met me. I realized he was real soon after that. And, and when that happened, suddenly I started to sing. Like I wanted to sing. I wanted to, to actually give myself to, to this God through music. And I think, so I think there is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we'd understand theologically that's going on, that the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, it, he enters you and um, helps you do some of this stuff. And, and I think that's a really exciting element of Christian faith is this, there's a helper, there's someone alongside you, whether, whether it's, you know, whether it's giving you boldness in your workplace or whether it's helping you sing mm. and give yourself to the duty sometimes of worship like you're never on your own and it's not on you to try and drum up this thing, but no, there's a helper with you and in you. So on that then, as you've both explored, worship is intentional, it's sacrificial, it's an outpouring, but is it for our benefit? That's a fantastic question, Helen. Um, I'll go and then you, you can, Becky, add in, but um because again, it's something I've thought about a lot and, and in my studies, because we tend to say our oh, worship isn't for us. It's all for God. Worship's about God. It's not about me. And that's like foundationally true. Worship is about God and focusing on him and thanking him for what he's done in Jesus and in creating us and making us. But that that there unarguably is a benefit of worship. And we touched on it right at the start. It's to do with lining up our lives with what God's plans and purposes are for us. So when we worship, we um, orientate our hearts and minds and bodies towards our creator and his best plans for our lives. And so then we flourish. Um, and so, and in fact, there's a great passage that I'm thinking of preaching on soon at Gastry on um, uh, Elijah and when he has this confrontation with the prophets of Baal, this, this other God, this false God, and they have this kind of worship dance off. And he's like, look, it, the real God will answer uh, by fire and set on fire the offering. This Old Testament. So it's all, you know, slightly strange to uh, us reading it today, but that's, it's like this worship dance off. And like, you know, he, he calls on, on our God and God responds with fire, whereas the prophets of Baal call on their God and nothing happens. And the key bit is it describes them limping around the altar, trying to drum up worship. And I think if you, in terms of the, the answer is worship for us or not, I think what that passage is saying is, look, if, if, you, if you don't have the right worship of God in your heart and mind, if you're not trying to orientate your life to him, unfortunately, it might seem like you're dancing in life or strong and everything's going well, but really there's a limp. There's, there's, there's a, there's something that is making you hobble and, and not, not flourish fully in what God has for you. And there's so much more. And so I think that's a great metaphor for this. Yeah, it's definitely for our benefit. I would only leap in to say that from my personal experience as well. And I know as a, just, you know, life's busy, isn't it? Life is hectic for everybody. And mm. there are, there is nobody probably listening, Helen, today that isn't in some way in their life 
facing some form of struggle or, you know, and if they're not now, they will be soon. And that's life. And for us, we've got a big family, busy lives. And often I hit these walls of feeling quite overwhelmed. And I would say sometimes more often than not, worship is my only solution. You know, I can try and sort my life out in so many different ways and reorder things. And But actually, often it's just I need to put worship on in the kitchen while I'm cooking and give myself to God in that time. And stuff shifts. It shifts in my perspective and it shifts in my heart and often in reality just by worshipping. So that would be my experience. Totally agree with you. It's so funny how, as I mentioned before, God's really taught me that you don't have to feel like doing it. It's a bit like thankfulness, right? You don't have to feel thankful to be thankful. There is something that shifts when we decide to action that, uh, to to be sacrificial in that, you know. Um, So Nick and Becky, you run a ministry called Worship for Everyone. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you've recently written a book with the same title. And this isn't just about making sure no one feels left out. Nick, you did talk about this when we were looking at what the Bible says about worship. But in your book, you describe it as the hidden power of generational diversity in worship. So, Becky, can you unpack that for us? Can indeed. Um, Well, just personally, in terms of our story first a little bit, Helen, about 12, 15 years ago, we arrived at a big church in London, Nick as the director of worship, and we were very um, excited about leading the church in some worship and really quite experienced in leading adults in worship. But we entered a church that had hundreds of kids. Well, when I say hundreds, to about 200 children at its peak, actually. So we suddenly were confronted with a massive age range and realized very, very quickly that what people talked about as all age actually wasn't really in front of our own eyes and um, all age worship at all. In fact, we, we started to lead these songs that we'd been handed and it seemed like perhaps some of the very, very littlest on the ground were joining in, but lots of the adults at the back seemed disengaged. The teenagers and youth looked awkward. And so we began to think we've, we've got to do something about this. Now, we began to write songs that we just thought perhaps would have the goal of uniting the church in worship. So we looked at the words and the melodies that we were writing to try and find themes and um, and uh, that th- everybody could unite around. And I think what we discovered, Helen, this is in, in a nutshell, as we began to journey more and more towards truly seeking unity across the generations, we thought, oh my goodness, there is such a joy and a power in the room when we really do start to see all ages connecting with God in worship together. And I think at times when we've looked out and seen from the front to the back, everyone with their arms in the air, from the youngest to the oldest, we would say there's like a taste of heaven. Um, And just in the same way that as a church, we've adapted to, we would, you know, we would never split off men and women and and think that's a great divide. And we're we're doing so much to respond to um, diversity across racial lines in the same way we are now looking very much at how we have put children so often in a separate room and said, let's bring them back in. We want to see generational diversity. So that's part of the journey that we've been on. Nick, would you add to that? I think that's I think that's great. And I think I think, you know, in the book, our book Worship for Everyone, we talk about the example of in society of, for example, intergenerational care homes happening. Now, COVID's kind of thrown some spanners in that works, but you know, studies have been done and 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 pioneers have started to say, well, look, what happens if we bring together the elderly with ch- young children? 
And they've started to see that when you do that, it boosts children's reading and social skills because the elderly are reading and playing with the children. In the same way, the children are blessing the elderly with, with, with helping with senses of loneliness or separation from society. And so you have this uh, like benefit to both ends of the spectrum when you bring them together in terms of age diversity in the room. And so even if society is waking up to that realization, hey, we've gone too far in separating, how much more like should the church be leading the way and going, hey, you know, as I said at the start in the, earlier on the interview, like um, there's an assumedness in, in the Bible that we will be together a lot in our journey, faith journey with God. And so essentially worship for everyone is, is saying, hey, what happens if we, if we return to that idea? Now, it's not to say there aren't times where you have specific age-related teaching and settings, but hey, we need to do better and more at having more moments where we're together. This all-age worship vision that you have hasn't always been plain sailing for you both or even a clear vision. In fact, in your early days of leading worship, you had a bit of a, a bad experience, didn't you? We did, Helen. And I mean, I think this is so often the way God works, isn't he? That he gives the most unlikely people a vision and a calling that they wouldn't have expected. And, and as I said, you know, we, we were musicians and songwriters, very passionate about worship, but we hadn't tasted what it could look like for everyone to worship together. And I think the problem is it is hard. It takes creativity. It takes thought. It's actually much easier to do anything, isn't it, with people that are just like you. And that's why if we're not careful, we form all these little churches around sort of our personality, our age range. And you have these kind of older churches and younger churches. And, and, and actually, um, you know, to, to really do this well, it does often need a bit more thought and a bit more time and prayer, maybe, and team. Um, but God has taken us on a journey. And for sure, what began as us just responding to a need before our eyes, what God by his grace has done has shown us actually this is a very, very exciting area to be growing and developing in. And, and we feel very passionately now that there is so much more across the church that we could be doing to embrace not, you know, not just the little ones, but, but older people in our midst as well and make it a place for all. And an exciting area that you definitely were intentional about during lockdown was an interactive worship party, I'm going to call it, with uh, your four children at home uh, called Family at Four, uh, showing us how worship can not only be fun, but also hilarious as well. And you've just released an all-age guided four-week journal to help families connect with God together at home. So tell us a bit about your vision and why worshipping God at home is important um well it's 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 all about our whole life isn't it you know we we really believe as christians that that church on a sunday is a really key and really important part of our life as christian people but that actually our whole life um is about being a worshiper and um and so in terms of uh, home and what we've been doing here, I think going back to family at four, that was an amazing way for us to kind of, I suppose, without realising it at the time, because we slightly stumbled into it. And again, just thought there's going to be a need. So let's respond to it. In the end, I think what we did was we modelled in a really quite natural way, just 
some quick, easy ways that we can kind of gather around together and um, explore the Bible and worship God in a low key way with our children present. So what we did by bringing them into the room, I think, was just made it quite natural and ordinary for other people so that they could kind of participate and have a little window into our small family. I think some of the things that we learned along the way were actually allowing our own children to be themselves and find their own kind of strengths and giftings within that was really important. So one of our children helped us with actions. Actually, one of them just had permission to be a bit wacky, put silly hats on and run around and kind of dip in and out because that was the age he was at. One of our children who's perhaps just a bit more of a natural lead would often read the prayers or keep in touch with people on social media and do those kind of things. So I suppose without knowing it, we began to model as well how we can um, sort of work together with our children in leading worship. It doesn't have to just be something that the grown-ups do to the children, but we can all share in this ministry together. Also, I think I think what happened with it, because we, we had no idea, we just like <laughs> put up this family at four episodes, you know, we live streamed this first one and we had this huge response and it really connected with people right from the eldest to the youngest. And I think one of the things that that, that we knew in theory, but then this kind of really showed in practice is how children really want to see other children be released uh, doing stuff like in worship. So it's like, and again, I think often the church applying that to the church again, we get it wrong because we, as Becky said, it's like, oh, the adults will, will do worship for children in the room or will it becomes a performance or something whereas like actually children just want to see other children being themselves uh, but being released to, to to contribute rather than just like consume or mm. or or enjoy something you know like they they enjoy tv watching or mm. youtube or whatever so i think that would that really hit that really was clear in the family at four yeah. stuff that importance of actually releasing children and children love being led by other children. Mm. Uh, and that's a powerful dynamic that goes on. They can identify with them and there's role models there in front of yeah. them and so forth. Yeah, so good. And I know you talk about this in your book, Worship for Everyone. You have a, a kind of do's and don'ts for all age worship. And I'm thinking, are there any more that you want to share with us? Because there'll be people listening who will be probably wanting to this be something they're quite passionate about, but maybe you haven't got the church infrastructure or the vision at the moment. So are there any other do's and don'ts that you want to throw in around all age worship? There are so many, Helen. I'm also, as you mentioned earlier, a school chaplain. And so at the moment, Monday to Friday, when I'm in my little chapel, it's kind of just me, really. Sometimes a backing track. Sometimes I have a piano accompanist. But what I, what I do think is it's possible to do so much um, whether you've got a lot of resource or a little bit, I think some of the principles and the do's, I suppose, are it's really important to start with your values. And that was one of the things we realised very, very early on, both in sung worship, but also in everything that we're doing um, when we're in gathered church, that we realised we had a bunch of values when adults were in the room. Um, so in our sung worship, that might be, you know, encountering God, transformation, some of the things we've already talked about. But actually, once the children came into the room, that kind of all went out of the window and we just thought we'll better have a little bit of a party and an ease up and jump around and then off they go and we suddenly realized that there was this mismatch and I think actually when that light bulb went on and we began to realize 
oh gosh, actually, we can use the same values and we want to have the same goals when our children are present. That shifted how we led. And for those listening, you know, and that doesn't matter whether you only have one song or one moment in the service when you're all together. If your values are the same, you can still use that moment to uh, disciple and teach the children a little bit about how they might encounter God. It will change the way you talk to them. So I think one of the first do's for sure is have the same value when all are in together as you do when it's just adults in the room. Nick, have you got any other do's? Shall I bounce to you? Know, that that's the first really one I, think, I thought of. I just think um, one of the things that's really helped us was this C.S. Lewis quote that we talk about in the book. Um, it says this, a children's story which is enjoyed only by children is a bad children's story. Mm. And we've always loved that quote and used it a lot in our training and stuff because it, C.S. Lewis obviously wrote some of the greatest stories ever you know in Narnia and the Narnia series and and like JK Rowling has done with Harry Potter it's like they're not um well they 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 apply to all generations everyone loves it and and it might have started out as something that you thought was for children actually it's for everyone because it's just a great story um and actually both Harry Potter and C.S. Lewis's writings in Narnia they have depth so Mm. some things will children won't realise going on in the books, but then adults will really, it'll really hit home with an adult reading the story. And you're like, oh, and it's deep and meaningful for you as an adult as well. And so I think that, that really encapsulates one of the, the big do on in terms of what do you do? That's what we're trying to do, what you're trying to do. And, and, and Disney does this well and Pixar movies and, they do this well where actually it's for everyone and there's different depths in what's going on. So for a worship service or gathering, that's what you're trying to do is um, facilitate for us and our values. We're trying to facilitate again, the Holy spirit, the presence of God to do things that will impact everyone in the room. Like there's, there's, there's something of God and his voice and his, encouragement for both children and adults and and every age and stage of life through what we're doing um, together. And I'm glad you mentioned in the room because obviously the pandemic has changed how a lot of church congregations gather and worship. And many churches have created a hybrid of in-person and online, that gathering model. I know that's what Gas Street has done. So how has this shift to online affected communal church worship? That's a great question. Again, um, I think um, on the positive, I think uh, there's lots of opportunity because um, everything's been disturbed, you know, and and often things in, in all different walks of life, they can get fixed. You know, it's like, you know, metaphor of like someone taking glue and gluing all the Lego pieces together of their kit so it can never be changed again. You know, I think that's in one of the Lego movies, you know, and it's like, no, that's not what it was designed for. It was designed to be taken apart and put together in a different way again and played with. And in essence, that's the church is supposed to be a mobile, missional, flexible group of people um, that are led by an unpredictable God, you know, who doesn't always do his ways like we would do our ways. And in a sense, you know, so the opportunity comes, I think, when when actually the Lego is taken apart a bit and you're like, well, what could we now build? And so I, I, I would encourage people listening and churches listening, and this is certainly what we're trying to do at Gastry, is like 
well, what, what are the opportunities here? Because there's so much you can focus on of the, of the problems and challenges and they're really real and, you know, they are there. But also what, what might we be able to rebuild and now have more flexibility that we haven't had for years because everything got a bit fixed? So I think that's one of the opportunities is both online and in real life. I, I, we're hearing stories of people trying Say in the area of, of intergenerational worship and all age worship, we're hearing a lot of stories of people getting to us and saying, hey, we're trying this different way of doing things, mm. which they couldn't have done before. So that I think that's quite exciting. Yeah. So any tips, Becky, then, on how we do online worship well? I think children are so used to watching stuff on TV, aren't they, and YouTube and fast pace that one of the things we've got to, I suppose, get a bit knowledgeable about and realise is that they're growing up in a totally different world from often those of us who are prepping this stuff and leading it. Um, So I would say, um, well, a few things. Firstly, um, I've watched a lot of stuff online where people don't ever move from the spot. There's no variety. And I think for children that can get quite boring. So you could be in the same location, but I think we've got to realise that what we lose when we're not in a room is so much stuff that children can take in. If you're live in a room, you can watch people's expressions. You can look at different corners of the room. You're not just looking at a stage all the time and at one person. So in a way, we've got to kind of, in terms of visually, when we're teaching or sharing, remember that. And it might be that therefore we bring props in or different faces. You know, when we used our children, that was really, really helpful. Or you use different locations, perhaps that you switch to, to keep things moving and interesting because that will help engagement. I think being short and focused. So, you know, if you can get away with giving a 10 minute all age talk live in the room, you probably can only get away with four or five minutes online. I think shorter is better because it's a bit more, you know, one dimensional when you're just looking at a person. Um, I think being sharply focused is really, really good. We'd say this generally in the live meeting as well. And um, knowing what you're building towards. So again, if we if you're holding a short online service, where, where do you want the response to land with? What, what do you want people to take away with them? And then building all the bits that you're going to do around that in terms of the theme of the song you might sing or anything visual you're going to use or a game you're going to play. Make sure it's really focused towards that. And then just in terms of presentational tips, because some people are brilliant live and they find it really hard when there's a camera in front of them. I think being um, smiley, being aware that actually, um, even if you feel scared, that all will come across as looking really alarmed (laughs) if you you don't watch that. Things like getting the lighting right. You took ages, Nick, didn't you? Getting our lighting right. Because actually, if it looks quite bright and alive, people will want to watch it more than if you're in a gloomy room with a curtain shut. So just paying attention to those small details and constantly thinking what will help people engage. They're just my first few thoughts. That's great. So We could even do a life issues on that, couldn't we? Uh, but I do want to um, move on to a topic that I think is really important to address, which is around worshipping God in areas that maybe isn't sung in church. There are so many issues around us at the moment. What about worshipping God in action through looking out for what's around us? Mm. Yeah, and that, that returns to, uh, you know, our, what we said right at the start about worship being all of life and then these punctuated moments of focus on God. And I think what you're touching on there is the all of life angle. And, um, you know, the, the Church of England actually describes these five marks of mission, they call it. But you could e- equally say five marks of worship because worship and mission are kind of so uh, married together. And they talk about, you know, 
responding to human need by service. You know, that's one of the marks of, of, of worship, responding to real need with acts of service. It talks about, you know, seeking to transform unjust structures of society, uh, you know, so the transformation of society and um, justice being a real issue. Um, and then things like you've touched on, like uh, the integrity of creation and creation care and su- sustaining life um, in creation. And so the worship, the point of those five, that this it goes on with other things, but the purpose of those is to say, hey, there's this really big view of what worship is. And it's all these things. For me, one of the simple ways to remember this is um, uh, two words, um, adoration and action. And the metaphor of them being like two pedals on a on a bicycle and that worship is both adoration, like just thanksgiving to God for what he's done and, and singing to him and all these expressions of worship. So you press down on that pedal, but if you only press that pedal, the bike's only going to go like for a few seconds forward. But, you, you know, anyone who rides a bike, you know, you've got to press the other pedal to get momentum going and the bike actually moving and that other pedal is action and what what we can each do to put in put love into action uh, and put our worship into action in the world Mm. and becky um, as we loop back round to where we began i just wonder what are the pitfalls of not knowing that we are created to worship oh well as nick said at the start we will still worship whatever that might be. And, and, and Nick mentioned materialism, but there are so many things. We can even worship other people, can't we? Um, or even worship ourselves. Um, and so we will. And I suppose when we don't know that we're made to worship, that will be a default. And ultimately, it won't fulfill or satisfy. Um, once we know that we're made to create the one who created us, sorry, to worship the one who created us, that's where, well, that's, I believe the Bible says, you know, Jesus uh, feeds us, you know, he actually feeds us. And uh, he says, come to me, those who are thirsty, and I'll give you water. And and actually, when we know that and we seek him first, there's a, a satisfaction and a contentment and a fulfillment in our lives that we just can't get from anything else, which is ultimately why we worship these other things, don't we? We worship them perhaps because we think they're going to fill us and satisfy us. When we know that that really is only met by our creator, um, there's a huge motivation and incentive there to, to turn back to him, I think. And finally, Nick, how do we communicate or show people who don't yet know God or don't believe in God that they are created to know and worship their creator? Oh, I think, the, you know, people are looking for authenticity, aren't they? They're looking for all of this theory. They're looking for it in, in flesh in the people around them. And so I think the biggest challenge for, the, for each of us and, and as a church is to, to show in our everyday interactions and lives the character of God. And, and um, that's what people are looking for is that difference because, um, and, and, you know, there's a lack of trust um, in, in lots of areas of society and politics and all different things at the moment in leadership and so I think there's, a, again, though, it's, putting it positively, there's an opportunity for mm-hmm. us to show worship in everyday life. Um, and that's what people will remember mm-hmm. is the difference we each of us can make in the small things as well as the big things. But there's just the small daily ways we treat each other and we reflect who God is. 
Don't underestimate the impact each one of us can have. And we may never know. Actually, we won't know the impact we have through Christ until we meet our maker. That's something I've learnt. Well, Nick and Becky Drake, the time has flown by and it's been such a pleasure. That book, to mention it again, is called Worship for Everyone. It's been such a pleasure. So thank you so much for sharing with us on UCB1. Thanks, Thanks Helen. Lovely to see you.